Galatians 2, verse 20. This is a very popular verse. Many of you have probably heard it before. Some of you, if you have your own Bibles here this morning, have probably underlined it or highlighted it in some shape or form. As Paul speaking, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And Father God, we just come before you this morning. I come before you this morning desperately as I've already prayed to Lord to interpret this area of Scripture, Lord, as it has touched my heart specifically the last couple of weeks, God. And then that God, the same thing would happen to the church this morning, Lord. And Father, that we would understand that we are the church, Lord, that it is us. It is us as the church that you work through, Lord. It is us as the church that you have us to carry on your ministry that you have started, God. And I pray this morning as we break into this one verse, God, that you would touch our hearts and help us to truly understand what you have called us to do, Lord, in the way that you have loved us and given yourself for us, Lord. We ask this in your name. Amen. Galatians 2.20, and this is Paul speaking, and Paul is a phenomenal guy. I mean, the more that you study the scriptures, the more that you get into the epistles, the more that you look into Paul, and Paul is that guy that, um, that you might love to have in your church and you might not like to have in your church at the same time. Because Paul is really in your face. Paul's going to see something and he's going to go do it. And then if you've read Galatians, I mean, just a couple verses before this, he actually is like telling people, look, I called Peter out. I told him to his face, you're doing this wrong. You know, I mean, it's, it's just that kind of guy that you can either love to have in your church or be like, dude, you need to tone it down. You know, just, just, just relax. But that's who Paul is. Paul is on fire for the Lord. And as I've talked in the past, you know, that Paul was just, when he was Saul, remember he was, he was a Pharisee, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. And he went out and he was just thought he was living for God and he was just killing Christians and he was tearing Christians apart because he thought that they were anti what God was asking him to do. And then as Paul gets saved, he kind of turns in from Saul and he turns into Paul and he has just this love for Jesus Christ. He had this personal encounter with Jesus Christ that absolutely changed everything that Paul ever was going to do with the rest of his life. And hopefully some of you in this room this morning have had that same personal encounter with Jesus where he came into your life and he stopped you at a moment and said, look, what you're doing is wrong. And, and I love you. And I've got a different plan for your life. And I've got a different direction that I want you to go in. And, and, and Jesus came down and specifically spoke to you. And maybe some of you this morning have not had that experience. Maybe some of you this morning have been like, well, I've just kind of always gone to church. I just kind of go here because... Well, maybe I'm made to go. My, you know, my spouse makes me go, or my parents make me go, or, you know, I got dropped off here this morning, or I got, you know, I got no choice. I'm just here, you know, and that's just what I do. Well, hopefully, this morning the Lord is speaking to you, and I've actually been praying for this ahead of time, that the Lord would speak to you specifically if you do not know the Lord this morning, that He would touch your heart, and that you would have a true understanding that Jesus Christ, as we've gone through the whole Easter season that there was Good Friday and then there was Easter and he was risen from the dead. And then he did all of that because he loved you greatly. And he did all of that so that he could, he could just forgive you of your sins and that you would have an eternal destination that was different from what it was before. And for some of us, that's hard to understand. It's hard to even believe. Well, Kevin, that doesn't even make sense. I, I, I don't even see that I'm a sinner. Why do I need a Savior? Who is Jesus? Isn't that just a story that you see in the Bible? Aren't those a bunch of stories that aren't really true? Just, you know, they've been passed down from ages to ages, and it's not really, it's just made up. It's folklore. It's not real. We hear those stories as well. We hear people saying that, and, and they have no justification for it because they haven't even read the Bible. But somebody down the road, somebody on the Internet said that those are all just fake stories. It's not real. I mean, get into science, man. That's where it's real. Jonathan and I went to NASA um, about three, four weeks ago at this point. I think it was, maybe longer. And, um, and Jonathan at times is, is a Paul. He's not here this morning, so I can talk about him. He's kind of a Paul at times, okay? And he's one of those guys that you're going to love to be around or he's just going to say something that you're just like, oh, gosh, did he just say that out loud? You know, as it echoes throughout the entire auditorium or something. But 
And whenever we go into a dinosaur place or we go into a place like that, we're always like, Jonathan, just, you know, when they start talking about billions of years, you and I both know that that's, we don't believe that the universe was created billions and billions of years ago. That's just our personal belief, okay? Um, you don't argue about it, then you argue about it. I don't care. I mean, it doesn't really matter to me. It doesn't create salvation. If you want to believe that, that's fine. Go for it, okay? We don't, all right? And so Jonathan definitely doesn't. So he'll say, somebody will say something like that, and he'll be like, oh, billion, yeah, dad, billions of years, Dad, you know, and it'll just echo cause, <laughs> through the entire place, and you just know everybody's looking at you like you're that guy, you know, at that moment. So as we're going in there, I'm saying, Jonathan, you can't just, just enjoy the movie that we're watching. Don't interrupt the movie by that, so... But scientists have such a heart and a passion. And, and we like to make fun of them, but aren't they kind of like the Sauls and the Pauls of our generation? I mean, they have their own basic religion of what they believe in, and, and, and they have a passion for it. I mean, they have a desire to study all of God's creation, even though they won't call it God's creation, and they'll study it, and they'll have an understanding. And the things that they were talking about, I didn't even understand what they were mentioning. You know, and they were looking at this was one thing of the Hubble that it was looking out all throughout all the different galaxies and going further and further. And they were saying stuff and how they got there and all this. And I had no, and I love science and I love, you know, space. I just, no, I was lost. But they understood it. And so as, they, as they're seeking after these things of creation, of what we know God created, aren't they the same thing? And so as Saul and, and Paul is writing in Galatians here, he's having this debate, as he did in several of the, the, the books here, as far as talking about, you know, that it's not, you're not under the law, that there's no law that we have to live by, okay, that we've been saved by grace. And that it's not that we have to follow the, the different, as far as you can only eat a certain food, and that actually in, in this church here, there were, there were Jewish Christians that were coming in that were saying, look, these Gentiles can't follow it because they have to live by the law. They have to be circumcised. They have to eat certain food. And they're coming in and they're just giving out this false doctrine and saying, look, you're not saved because of this. Paul's like, no, it's not, it's not anything that we've done. It's not anything of the law. It, it's all done by grace. It's done by what Jesus Christ did on the cross. And as he goes into Galatians 2.20, it says, and he captures it, says, look, I have been crucified with Christ. And if you look at this verse, the first word that has to pop out at your, uh, that you look at is crucified, doesn't it? Doesn't crucify just kind of pop out? And as we, especially after Easter of what we've gone through and, and what we've looked at, and have you guys ever thought really what crucifixion was? I mean, have, do you really understand what happened when somebody was crucified? I mean, I know that we talk around about it at Easter and we talk about it at times when we talk about what Jesus Christ went through, but have you ever really heard somebody explain what happened? So, like in the past, I like to Google stuff and I like to look it up to kind of get an idea of what I'm talking about so that I can semi-talk about it intelligently. And so it's here, it says, Crucifixion sometimes began with a scourging or a flogging of the victim's back. The Romans used a whip called a flagrum, I think that's the way you say it, which consisted of small pieces of bone and metal attached to a number of leather strands. The number of blows given to Jesus is not recorded. However, the blows in Jewish law was 39, one less than the 40 that the Torah allowed to prevent a counting error because then they would have been under a different law as far as that side. During the scourging, the skin was ripped from the back exposing a bloody mass of tissue and bone. Extreme blood loss occurred after often causing death or at least unconsciousness. In addition to the flogging, Jesus faced severe beating and torment by the Roman soldiers, including the plucking of his beard and the piercing of his scalp with a crown of thorns. And so that you understand, we haven't even gotten to the cross yet. So as Jesus is sitting there, and if some of you guys have seen the Passion of Christ, and, and he's laying over that, they're sitting there and they're just taking this and they're just and it didn't just it didn't just strike them as it went across the back it would wrap around and then they would pull it and all those shreds and everything else would go into the back and it would just rip it and it, one would be plenty for me but they did it 39 times I mean can you imagine the screams that would come out of anybody at that moment and, and he sat there and, and a savior that did nothing wrong 
and he's, he's willing to take it. He's willing to take the beating. And then he's willing to sit there and get punched by Roman soldiers and have his beard ripped out and have a crown of thorns nailed into his head. But wait, there's, there's more to the story because it didn't just stop there. And it says, Then after the flogging, the victim was forced to carry his own crossbar to the execution site. So the, the cross here, this is the crossbar here. And so as he would travel, he would have to carry that. And probably not, he's not strapped onto it already, but he's got to you know, carry it to the side and he's got to walk through and, and take it all the way there. Well, this crossbar could easily weigh 100 pounds. I don't know if you, how many of you guys have lifted 100 pounds before, but it's, it's not light, you know. I mean, it's, you know, you get up to like 10, 15 pounds, you're like, wow, this is, this is pretty stout, you know. So he's, he's carrying this. Now he's been, he's been flogged. His back, his back is, just, is, just, is just, just layers of flesh. And there's blood that's coming out of it. And he's been beaten. You know, he can't, the, Isaiah says you can't even recognize his face at this point. And this is the lamb that's tear, carrying this cross. And it says, in the case of Jesus, the record shows that he may have carried the, the crossbar the distance of over two football fields. In a weak and tormented state, it's no wonder that the record establishes that Jesus needed a great deal of assistance. And once the victim arrived at the execution site, the crossbar was put on the ground and the victim was forced to lie upon it. Spikes, no, he was forced to lie upon it with his back completely exposed with the blood and, and the skin and everything else ripped apart. The spikes about seven inches long and three-eighths of an inch in diameter were driven into his wrists. The spikes would hit the area of the median nerve, causing shocks of pain up the arms to the shoulders and neck. Already standing at the crucifixion site would be the seven-foot-tall post called a stipes. In the center of the stipes was a crude seat to support the victim. The crossbar was then lifted onto the stipes, and the victim's body was awkwardly turned on the seat so that the feet could be nailed to the crossbar, or to the stipes, I'm sorry. At this point, there was a tremendous strain put upon the wrists and the arms and the shoulders, resulting in a dislocation of the shoulder and elbow joints. The position of the nail bodied held the victim's rib cage in a fixed position, which made it extremely difficult to exhale and impossible to take a full breath. Having suffered from the scourging, the beatings, and the walk with the, the crossbar, Jesus was described as extremely weak and dehydrated. He was probably losing a significant amount of blood, and as time passed, the loss of blood, the lack of oxygen was caused severe cramps, spasmatic contract, contractions, and probably unconsciousness. Ultimately, the mechanism of death and the crucifixion was suffocation. To breathe, the victim was forced to push up on his feet to allow for inflation of the lungs. And as the body weakened and pain in the feet and legs became unbearable, the victim was forced to trade breathing for pain and exhaustion. And so as we, we look at what crucifixion really was, this was not something that, that was easy, obviously. It was not something that was enjoyable. And as we, one of my favorite parts about Easter not favorite in the like the joy part of it is is listening to what Great Friday is, what Good Friday is, and, and, and having a true understanding and a and an understanding to be able to grasp truly what Jesus went through for us. I am Nathan. Can you do something? This is really like echoing or killing me up here. So as Jesus went through that, it just it was amazing to think as we as we look at that in this term that what Christ went through for us. I don't know if I would go through it for you guys. I'd like to think that I could go through it through my ch- for my children. But the 39 lashes alone to take that and then to have to carry the cross down there and then have to and bear the, the nails going into your arms, going into your legs, and then just sitting there and then truly having to make a decision, is it worth the pain to push up just to get a breath and to come back down? So just a couple things that stick out to me is that 
One, the cross was permanent. The cross was permanent. When the person went to the cross, it, it was a permanent settling. That, that was it. That's where that person was going to die. I mean, there was no getting off the cross. There was no, um, there was no other way out of it but that. The cross also was a lot of pain. There was pain, obviously, that this man went through or these men or whoever was crucified that had to in, endure for that time. And so it wasn't like, you know, some people think, well, Paul, you know, it's, I've been crucified. He wasn't actually crucified. Paul actually was beheaded, you know, and, and as painful as that might be, but quick and easy and you move on. But, you know, as opposed to being crucified, I mean, can you think about that? And so as I slowed down and I went back to this, the scripture then, I, you know, as I was, this actually came up in a couple of weeks ago at, at the men's study, you know, and this was just a devotional I did ahead of time. It says, I've been crucified with Christ. And I, you know, to be crucified with Christ means that there's pain sometimes. That there's pain that happens within our walk with the Lord of things that we have to give up. I mean, there's pain that, you know, a lot of times we'd like to tell people, oh, become a Christian, things will never be better. And that's just a lie. Just tell somebody to become a Christian and that everything's going to be perfect. Your life is going to be just cloud nine, man. It's just, it's wonderful. It's not. And it's not for many reasons, but it's not also because I have been crucified. I, I have to give up things. There's relationships that I don't have anymore because I've been crucified with Christ. There's relationships that I desired to have, but I couldn't because I had to give those up. And although painful, it was a necessity so that I could continue my walk with the Lord. Maybe some of you in this morning are alcohol, drugs. It's, it's painful to give that up. Well, guess what? You have been crucified with Christ. And, and as painful as that might be, you have to give those things up. Your time. Well, I, I, I have my time. No. You have been crucified with Christ. And if the Lord is asking of something of more time from you, if the Lord is asking something to give to him, then, then I've been crucified. I have to turn it over to him and know that it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives inside of me. I look at this word crucified also. It's the same actual word that is used in Matthew 27, 44 and Mark 15, 32. And and, 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 and it literally means to, it's the actual crucifixion. So as, as Paul's using this word, he's using the same word that was used for Christ when he was up on the cross. And so the expectation that upon Paul, which then turns to us, is that we're, we're literally going to do this. And that we're, we're willingly walking into this knowing that, you know what, to know the pain that's going to be caused, to know that everything that's going to happen, but for the, what the Lord has done for me, I'm going to give my life over to him. And I'm going to ask him to please take me. And I'm going to ask him to financially help me. And I'm going to ask him to work through the health issues that are in my life. We, we're, we're in a church here. It's not really a blessing, that, but there are a lot of people in our church that have severe health issues. You know, you look at Ross LaPointe. <clears throat> you look at the Wiseman's what they go through. And I don't say go through because they're living it. You know, Many of us in this room have different issues that are going on as well. But they look at it and they say as to be crucified with Christ, I, yet I still don't have my body in the way that I did before. I will still live for Him. Because it's not my calling anymore. It's not the way that I have. It's, it's because I want to live for Jesus Christ. An awesome thing this morning is I got to pick up Brian to come to church this morning. We've been praying for Brian. You guys know that. It was awesome for me to get to see Brian today. I haven't seen him in weeks. You know, we prayed this morning and, and, uh, and just certain people's voices that you enjoy to hear at certain times. And uh, we ended in prayer. And it's just to me at this point, you know, after the last year, I like to hear Brian close the prayer in the morning as we pray for you guys. It's just something I, you know, I told him, look, dude, I've been having to do this. It's your job. You know, I'm glad to have you back. It is certain, there's just a piece about certain things that you hear. And well, what is, why does Brian continue on and push on? He pushes on because Brian has been crucified with Christ. Does that mean Brian is perfect? Does it mean Brian doesn't 
call out or to have different desires? Oh, not at all, I'm sure. But he's been crucified. And what Paul is saying here, he's saying that by the death of Christ upon the cross, I have become utterly estranged. I have become dead from my former habit, feeling, and action. <laughs> it says that whatever I had, the feelings that I had before, the habits that I had before, that I, that I lay them down at the cross and say that, you know what, now it's a different path. It's a different direction. It's a different plan. I was talking to the children last night and um, excuse me for a second. We were talking to the kids last night and um, about a, a gentleman who had done something and was on a different direction in his life at this per- current time. And, um, and we talked about how you know the, the plans and the changes that you decisions you make today will ultimately affect at sometimes the things that happen in the future. This one gentleman he had <coughs> had gotten hooked on drugs and he was broken in some places and he was now currently he's in jail you know and I said you know guys that when he was younger his plan was never to hey I'm going to rob places so that I can get money for drugs and then get arrested and get thrown in jail and it wasn't his dream you know his dream Joshua wants to play football someday you know Jonathan you know, we joke around he's going to be a banker or something because he's always trying to loan his money out to his brother and sister but you know <laughs> At interest rates that are against the law, I might add. I keep telling you, like that is too high, and you get a lower. Okay, you're gonna go to jail. You're gonna be with this guy. Okay, so change your ways. You're gonna change your plan. But all of us have changed that path now. When we looked at Jesus, we recognized the sin that we had in our life, and we said, "Lord, I accept you as my Lord and Savior. I accept you to come into my life and to wash me clean. And today, I have decided to make you my Lord." When you said that, you said, look, that's it. I lay it all down at your feet. It's no longer me who lives, but Christ who lives in me. You see, until we die to ourselves, Christ cannot live with inside of us. You know, it's, it's until a point where you say, less of me and more of you. And it was John the Baptist who prayed that and said that. Until we realize the fact that I need less of Kevin in my life and the more of Christ coming in my life, then no change can happen there because there's a battle with even inside my own body to decide who's going to lead in direction. Back to verse 20, it says, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. Another person that I had mentioned uh, <clears throat> at the beginning of the year, and um, Lauren Hill, some of you guys might have known who this person is. She's been in, she had been in the news um, she passed away April, I think, 9th. Um, she was the um, um, young lady who had had cancer and was a basketball player. She was 18 or uh, ni- actually 19 years old. Um, at the same time, she was going through her thing. There was a young lady um, who had brain tumor also that wanted to die with respect, and she had ended her life on her own. She had committed suicide, and there was the big hubble at the time as far as you know, she'd have, she should have the right to die with dignity. And I talked about it, and it still, to this day, causes angst within my stomach to just think about the fact that she willingly gave up her life to never see her spouse again, to never see her family again, because she wanted to die with dignity. And I think at the time I had said that I would rather live with pain to be able to see those people in my life. That's because that's it. That's all that you get. Well, Lauren Hill decided the other way. She was going to live with dignity instead. So the article here that I, that I printed out says college athlete and outspoken Christian Lauren Hill succumbed to brain cancer early Friday morning. The 19-year-old inspired people around the world as she bravely fought the terminal illness and raised over a million dollars for DIPG research. Hill played in four games and made five layups this season at Ohio's Mount St. Joseph's University before her condition worsened worsened and was made, later made an honorary coach at the Division Three school. This was my dream, to score on this floor, and it felt amazing, she told the, the radio station. Hill was presented with the Governor's Courage Award last month and was honored for her bravery and perseverance during her team's end-of-the-year banquet held inside her own hospital room. Diagnosed with a DIPG in high school, Hill asked God to use her disease for his benefit. Last January... I said to God, I will do anything to be a voice for this cancer and all the kids 
that can't speak their symptoms. She explained in an interview to the USA Today, parents are baffled because they don't know what's wrong with their kids, and the kids can't express what's happening to them. I prayed I'd be the voice, and that I'd do anything that gave me an opportunity to raise awareness and raise research money. The Lauren Hill Tribute Fund has raised nearly $1.5 million in research with a goal of $1.75 million. I'm sure it's eclipsed that at this point. Hill wanted to raise awareness of the disease, a tumor of the brainstem that primarily affects children, and to one day find a cure. You know, it's a point where you read something like this, you look at your own personal life, and you go, what am I complaining about? It's not promised, tomorrow is not promised to any of us in this room. You know, God is the creator of carpe diem. It's today that we live, and we live for Jesus Christ today, but it's a point of we get so enamored with the things that are going on in our life that we kind of lose it through the fog. You know, there's the stuff of life that comes up. You know, I mean, all of us have to shower, and we have to brush our teeth, or some of us should shower and brush our teeth, and we have to pay our bills, and we have to go to work, and we have upkeep of things that we have and there's the stuff of life and there's nothing wrong with that stuff but it's a problem when that stuff goes over and takes over the control of our direction and our life and our focus of our life and the things that we're doing and to me the conviction has been over the last several weeks and the last several months is one where is my life what am i doing in that what is what is pushed in and what is taking over the things of where i'm not truly seeing where god wants me to go or god wants me to do where I rise up in my own flesh and decide, no, I'm taking control of the ship right now because it's more important that I do this instead of listening to what God has or what God wants me to go to. Probably even more as it attacked me this year is because there's a family, local family, who's, um, that we know of, goes to a different church, um, young 40s he is. He's got cancer and terminal cancer, not cancer, terminal cancer, like in hospice right now. Gentleman's got four kids and a wife. And, and as you look at that, and strong Christians, loves the Lord, and you're like, well, why is it fair that that happens to him? Why is it fair that somebody who's in his young 40s with four young children and a wife and, and the whole life ahead of them, they didn't plan on that. They didn't even make a wrong decision in that. Why, why is that fair that that should happen to him? I mean, do you ever question stuff like that? And you look at people and you look at things that happen. You look at Lauren Hill. She's 19. And why is her life taken away when you've got these people overseas that are beheading Christians or throwing them off ships or doing whatever that they're doing, riding a bicycle into a store and killing 40 people? I mean, why is that person allowed to live when this poor young lady and this family's lives are completely wrecked and changed forever? And there's times I don't have the answer to that. The only answer that I have is that I have been crucified with Christ. And there's no longer I who lives, but it's Christ who lives in me. And it's Christ who lives in me even in my death. So that when I look at it, I go, you know what? A Lawrence Hill life, although as short as it ever was, from nowhere Ohio has raised $1.75 million or more at this point, brought on a whole lot of information and a whole lot of glory to the Lord that possibly I'll never, ever give. She's given more glory to the Lord than maybe I ever will in my entire life. I might live to 80. I might live to 45 and tomorrow. Who knows? This one lady was so focused on saying, Lord, whatever it is that I can do for you, then God, I want to do it. And yet I'll get in my car today and I'll turn on the radio and I'll go home and watch the last part of the A-Day game from Alabama football yesterday. And I'll take a nap today. And although all those things aren't bad things in their own way, but where's the glory to God through that as well? And again, I'm not saying that we have to be 24-7, that we're, we're all on all the time as a Christian, that we don't have any fun, that we don't have any downtime. I'm not saying that, okay? Don't, don't misread that. Don't go to the other side of that as well. I'm saying that we are allowed to have fun, that we are able to enjoy, enjoy ourselves. But what I'm saying is, where is your heart and where is the focus? And what are you doing with those opportunities that are presented to you? Are we so interested in then falling back into saying, well, this is my life? And I, I heard a person speaking at a large national church at one point and was talking about that 
along those lines of just, well, just do the right thing and just live your life and just go ahead and, and, and you know, pay your bills and if you, you know, follow things of what you should do, then that's okay. And you know, it wasn't Joel Olstein. It wasn't even them. I was shocked when I heard it from this, this specific church. But see, it's sad. And I've said in the past too, I don't want to go to a church that is just here, that we just do this. I don't want to just do this. I want us to change people's lives. I want us to be in a, active in a community and active in our neighbors' lives and in our community that we can sit there and say, no, don't do that. Don't get that divorce. No, don't do those drugs. No, don't do that thing with your finances. What are you doing? Don't walk out on your children. Why? Because I'm part of the church. And we're in every country in the world. And we help you from, from when you're born until you go to the grave. And we're that church. So my question is, what's holding us back? You know, we weren't saved to be part-time Christians. You know, there's no clock that we check in. That's not, the, that's not the intention. It was again so that I would not live, but Christ would live in me. And that's not a part-time thing. That's a full-time opportunity. On Thursdays, the men have been having an awesome Bible study. I mean, has it not been a good Bible study? Yeah? So, not just me. That was... Didn't pay them either, so... Been doing a book called um, "Yielding to the Holy Spirit" by Lloyd Pulley, and um, I was talking to Brian about it a little bit before. And um, I don't get the glory in the book; Brian does. Actually, the Lord does, but Brian was the condiment. So, um, in chapter four, he was talking about, and it's talking about using how the Holy Spirit is not an it; it's not a thing; it's it's God; it's a it's a person; it's part of the Trinity; it's part of the three. And in chapter four, in, in my my confession, I, we did it over two weeks, and the first week I read it, I really didn't get a lot out of it. Now, guys were all like, oh my gosh, this chapter was awesome, and I was like, you know, we need to do this chapter again next week, because evidently, whew, it went right by me, you know, and so I was like, okay, Lord, let's, let's take a look at it again, you know. And so in chapter four, he was talking about it, and he says, you know, it is far better to have full possession of whatever God gives us than to grasp what we think is best for ourselves. It is far better to have full possession of whatever God gives us than to grasp what we think is best for ourselves. And how often it is that we just we want to just grab the wheel again, you know, and just take over. And have you ever had that moment where you're talking to somebody and they're like, dude, I don't know why this keeps happening to me, you know? And I'm like, it's because you're doing the same thing that you've always done, you know? Why God gave God a chance? Well, give him a longer chance. I mean, you've been doing this for 40 years or whatever, and it's not working. You know, give God more than a week. You know what I mean? Give him a little bit more time to, to, to change your life and to change your heart. And, and so, so many times we want to just grasp onto whatever we can instead of realizing, well, maybe, maybe the Lord is happy with me having, you know, a 1988, you know, Chevy Cavalier, you know, because that's all that God really wants me to have. There's nothing wrong with that. I had one of those, by the way, one of my favorite cars. So there's nothing wrong with that. It's, it's great to have all that God wants me to have than to mortgage my future so that I can drive a Lexus and I can look good for a year until they take it back from me. You know what I'm saying? I would rather have all of what God wants me to have because then that's in the perfect will and the perfect desire and the perfect happiness that I'm going to experience than to be sitting there back in a rat race and chasing the things that I can never acquire because then I'm just giving back into the world and all the desires that that's what they want. And then what have I want? You know, we went and looked at a house last weekend and uh, way outside of our, just letting you know ahead of time, way outside of what we are, uh, like this is where we can afford and it was like in the parking lot over there. So, and um, beautiful, you know, and you get tempted. Don't get me wrong. You're, there's temptation there. You're like, we can, you know, sell one of the kids and we can, you know, we can, we can, we can work it. You know, we can find a way into this place. But, you know, it can't be Joshua because he wants a two-story house. So we've got to keep him uh, that would be terrible. And, but so you're, you look at it and you're like, but what do I want to chase that for? Well, then I would have all this extra fundage, which is what we're trying to do. We're trying to become debt-free so that I can actually give more to God. So I can get to a point in my life where I'm working not for me. I'm working truly that I can just give it to God. 
and just say, hey, look, you know what, Lord? Here's 10%, 15 whatever that you want, God. You just take it. And I, I want to bless people and I want to help people out. And, and that's walking in the will of God. And that's grasping on and that's taking full control of allowing the Spirit then to work in us and then be able to move forward in our lives and knowing that it's no longer I, again, who lives, but it's Christ who lives inside of me. And it's Christ who is guiding my steps. And it's Christ who's guiding the conversations that I have with people, with you. He also stated, he was talked about at the end of chapter 4, he talked about General Booth. Uh, General Booth is the guy who created the Salvation Army back in the 1800s. I didn't know all this stuff. I googled it yesterday as well. But over in the 1800s in, in, London, in jolly old London. And um, so he's, he stated, they asked him, you know, one of the people asked him at one point, you know, what was the secret of his success? What was the secret? How did you do this? How did you create this thing? And he stated, he said, God has had all there was of me. There have been men with greater brains, greater opportunities than I, but from day one I had a vision of what God could do with poor old London. And I made up my mind that God would have all there was of William Booth. How simple and how wonderful that is. How, how wonderful it is to think that there, he's had all of it. And again, just like with Billy Graham, grew up in nowhere in North Carolina and has talked to every world leader that there was about Jesus Christ. Here's a guy that grew up poor. He didn't come from rich. Grew up poor. Actually, his dad died, went to go work with a, 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 another person as an apprentice. Got saved, you know, became a minister, taught himself how to read and write. I mean, this is a guy who just continued to persevere through everything and then takes, God uses this one man to then change the, the destiny of thousands, you know, maybe hundreds of thousands. I don't know. I mean, that's incredible to think about that. And the secret behind all of it was, it wasn't, you know, that he listened to a Robin's CD set or a whoever CD set of, you know, the power in you, you know, all that kind of stuff. It was the fact of, listen to this, that God had all of him. God, what do you want me to do? You know, I'm, I'm yours. What do you want me to do? Let's go. So church, what does God want us to do? We, we're, we're in this Sarasota. What could, what could God do in jolly old Sarasota. What, what things does God have planned for this town that, that we could be a part of? We need to be a part of. We're the church of Christ. So I'm not saying it has to be Calvary Chapel. I'm not just saying it has to be the Calvary Chapels. I'm not saying any of that kind of stuff. What, is, what does Christ want to do through us to change the destiny of thousands of people for Jesus Christ? In this county itself, what could we do? So does God have all of you? Does God have all of your heart? Um, we kind of have time. So, hey, um, turn over Philippians 3. This is free Bible time. I'm not going to charge you for this. Just to the right, a couple pages, Philippians chapter 3. I love the book of Philippians. If you look at my Bible, it's got it's it's I've got more writings in here than 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 God does at this point. I can barely read it. Um, this right here, this it's Philippians three three verse three, through fourteen, and and this is one of those things where if you if you don't get fired up after you read this, man, I, you need to check your pulse or go get some coffee or something. I'm just saying right now. So, you know, if you want a hallelujah a couple times when I read this, knock yourself out. I'm just saying this is a this is a powerful area of Scripture, okay? And, and one of my favorites. I love the book of Philippians, and I didn't teach here this all night too, but um, it starts in verse, verse 3. It says, For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh, though I also might have confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. So Paul starts it off right here. All he is saying, he's about to give a resume. We all have resumes. We all have jobs and stuff like that. Paul's going to give the resume out. And he does this also in Corinthians, okay, where he just gives a, a list of who, who I am as Paul. Okay, If you guys think you're greater than me, check yourself right here. Because circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, excuse me, a Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law, I was a Pharisee. Concerning zeal, man, I persecuted the church. Concerning the righteousness, which is the law, 
I was blameless. There's nothing wrong with inside of me. I'm just telling you that right now. I was the Jew of Jews. Okay? I mean, I had, you know, bagels with locks on it. I mean, I was it. Okay? I mean, that was, I was the man as far as when it came to that. And then in verse 7 it says, But what things were gained to me, these I have counted for loss, for Christ. So he says, look, all these things in the law, I did it. Okay, I was, when it came to the law, I was perfect and I did everything right. But you know what? As I look back to that, I said, look, all those things that were counted to me, I want nothing to do for it. Why? Because it's all about Jesus Christ. And he moves into verse 8 and he says, Yet, indeed, I, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. For I am suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. And he found and, and be found in him having my own righteousness, which is from the law. But that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings and being conformed to his death. And if you stop there, it just brings you all the way back to what Galatians 2.20 says. It says, look, I, I know him and the power of his resurrection. Do you, have you guys experienced the power of his resurrection? I mean, do you guys understand? I mean, we get in here, we accept Jesus Christ, we come to church on Sunday, and then we leave and we go home. And then what do you guys do? I mean, are you still experiencing the power of Christ? I mean, do you experience the power of the Holy Spirit that he's given to us, that's coming through us? So that as we pick up the Bible and you do your devotions, as you pray to him, as you talk to him, do you experience that power? I mean, or do you just, I check it off. I'm a part-time Christian. I came to church, clunk, clunk, I'm out. Now I get to go on with my day. Well, stop that experience that power so as he says that he says look the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings do you guys glory in the fellowship of his sufferings i mean we get in here at times and we go oh man work was just so terrible i mean i got made of fun of like four times at work because i invited somebody to, to church i mean it was just it was just awful and then this other person i had a fish on the back of my car and they said like darwin rules to me and it was just it was just awful you know i just felt so bad and i just feel so what? That's not persecution. Persecution is when you get your head beheaded, you know, over in, in the other, you know, in the Muslim states, or you get thrown off a ship, or you get that's persecution. When you're in China and they find a Bible in your arms and and they kill you or something. I mean, that's that's persecution. Okay? But he says, Look, I I I glory, I'm I'm fellowshipping it. I'm taking give it to me. Paul's like he was the guy that would get beat up, they'd get thrown him out of the, the the city, they would stone him, okay? And then he'd wake up the next morning, dust himself off. And he'd go back in the city. You know, I mean, that was just him. Again, that's the guy that you either like having in your church or you don't like having in your church, okay? So he was jumping right back in. And he says, and I will be conformed to his death. I know this. I will conform myself to what Jesus Christ did, even if it takes my life. He says, if by, no, by any means I have attained this resurrection for that, I'm not there yet, okay? Not that, I, not, not that I have already attained, for I am already perfected, but I press on. I don't stop. I press on. This is an action word. As you come up on these things, Paul's saying, look, I am pressing on. I am moving forward on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to apprehended, or, but one thing I do, forgetting the things which are behind and reaching forward to the things which are ahead of me. Verse 14, it says, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Do you get that? I, I, I press forward to the goal of the prize. Okay? The, the, the prize is the call. The prize is not that, that we're going to get heaven. The prize is not that, that we're going to get a great life. The prize is that you have been called alone. That Jesus was willing to die for us in this room. The, the, the prize is the fact that he even looked upon you and said you are worthy of anything. That's the prize. And the prize is getting to run the race. The prize is the fact that we get to walk out of here today and with Bible in hand and be able to walk into a community and say, man, Jesus loves you and has a plan. Do you, I mean, do you believe that in your heart? I mean, do you really believe in your heart of hearts and say that, yes, Jesus Christ actually lived upon this earth. He actually lived upon this earth. Almost everybody will agree with you there. Yes, he really, Muslims will say, yes, he was a great man, he's a prophet. You have common ground. So, you believe in somebody who actually existed. Do you believe that he went on the cross and was actually able to, with his blood, forgive you of your sins? And that's the real question. And there are times, I'll tell you, there's times where I'm like, Lord, are you, are you real? 
I mean, do you, am I the only one? Are there times where you just look at God and God, God, is this, is this really real? Just me. Okay, never mind. So it's just me. So welcome to my mind here. So I'm just talking to God. You guys are not, okay? And there's times where I say, God, is it real? I mean, are you really there? I mean, I, mean, I, I read the word, and, and unfortunately there's a point now in my life where sometimes I'm reading it and I'm not getting the emotional side of it anymore. I mean, it was great at times where I'm like that, and now there's so much of the... You know, when you teach, you look at it a different way, and it's not the same sharing at points at times, you know, as, you, as, you, as you're talking to the Lord, and it's one of those things where, God, are you there? I mean, do you guys believe it? And do you believe that if somebody does not know Jesus and has not accepted him as their Savior, that they're going to go to hell? Do you believe that there's a real hell? I mean, there's some pastors that say, oh, no, love will win out, that all people will go to heaven. I tell you, that's, that's, that's from the pit of hell. That is, that is a falsehood and that is a lie. Okay? That is an absolute lie in it because it's not true. Because again, you have to believe. No man comes to the Father except through me. And you have to believe Jesus. And you have to believe and that's going to happen. And there's no purgatory and there's no place in between. There's either heaven or there's hell. That's it. But sometimes I think, again, we get out there and we get lost in the things of life and we kind of forget that and we forget our purpose and we forget that there's a call that we've been called to do. And that there's a prize that we are living even to be able to have the opportunity to take the gospel outside and have the confidence to stand in front of somebody and say, look, Jesus Christ loves you and he died for you. And the drugs that you're on, he can help you with that. And, and the sin that you're going through and the, the problems that you're having within your family, he can help you with that. And, and the, the financial problems that you're having, he can help you with that. I mean, do you believe that? And do you believe when you go to a hospital that there are times where you can save people and that people can get healed and there are opportunities? I mean, Jesus is, is still in the... He's saying yesterday, today, and tomorrow. God can do all those things. I think, again, for myself personally, as I sit there and I look at it and I go, wow, you know, that one of the questions that I was... At the end of chapter four, chapter four ended up being a good chapter, didn't it? So, chapter four was one of the questions was, is that does God have all of your heart? Does God have all of your heart? And you think of that, you're like, well, you know, legalism gets in there and goes, of course He doesn't have all of my heart. I mean, I'm a I'm a, I'm a sinner. I'm not able to give Him all my heart. All those kinds of things. But but I think all of us in this room right now, if I were to ask you the same question, does God have all of your heart? And not on a legalistic where of course He doesn't, but but does he have all of those things? Does he have the heart? Does he have the purpose? And I would venture to say that all of us in this room right now, there's something that you're thinking of right now that you're like, he doesn't have this. He doesn't have this part of my heart. He doesn't have this part of my life. Everybody in this room has got a little something that's out there. And I say that that's fine because we're still running the race. We're not perfected. That we're, we're still moving forward in our walk with the Lord. And as we continue to look at that, and we continue to sit there and we look, go back to Galatians 2.20 and says, you know, he's, Paul says, again, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the faith which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And to know that it's okay that he doesn't have all of it right now, but does he have the intention? Do you have an intention to give your heart truly to the Lord and allow Him to completely change your outcome in life? I hope so. Because the last part of that is the gospel. The last part of that is the gospel. It says, you know, it says that it, right here it goes that it, um, but Christ lives in me and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved Him and gave Himself for me. He gave Himself for you guys. So as we come out of Friday and we come out of Easter and we saw that Friday, he went on the cross. Sunday, he's risen from the dead. All that was for you. And then it goes back to the earlier prayer that as I talked about it at the beginning, is saying, look, I hope that you guys in this room all have a relationship with the Lord. I hope all of you in this room have a right relationship currently with the Lord. That you guys are on fire for God. And, you, and even if there's a time where right now you're saying, you know, maybe Kevin, I, I've been off the path for a while. We were talking Thursday night and one of the guys in the study, you know, said, you know, for me, the book has been, you know, kind of God has just showed me, hey, God, I've been over here and God's been over here going, hey, I'm over here. And we all were like, yeah, that's, that's the rest of us as well. You know, we're all over here at points and God's like, hey, can, can, can you come over here? This is, this is where I'm at. You know, can you, can you bring your stuff over here? 
But none of this happens unless you allow the Lord to get into your heart. And you allow the Lord to take control of the ship. And you move yourself. There was a pastor one time who talked about, you know, um, that if he's in a car, you, know, you allow the Lord to, to be the driver. He says, and then you don't even get in the, the passenger seat, you know. You don't even get in the back of the seat, back seat because you, know, you can still yell at God and say, hey, you need to be driving over there. You ever have those? You know, my kids do that, you know. He says, you need to get in the trunk. You need to throw the keys out to him. You need to allow him to shut the trunk and just say, Lord, wherever you want to go, whatever you want to do, I, I, I'll go. As long as you're driving the vehicle, I, I'll go anywhere that you want me to go. I pray the same thing for this church. I think it's pray the same thing for you guys right now too. That today, Tony Evans said that um, I listened to him a couple of weeks ago. He said that um, because I know ninety five percent of you tomorrow won't remember anything that I talked about today. And that is Tony Evans, and I remember this like weeks later. So I don't know what he's talking about. <laughs> but this is me talking, so it's probably true. So ninety five percent of you won't remember tomorrow what we talked about today. And I've spent, well, the Lord's been talking to me for weeks on this subject. But I know that 100% of the time, if the Lord speaks to you personally, you remember it. Don't you remember those times where the Lord has just spoken to you? There's a verse that's popped out. Um, last Sunday, somebody spoke to Christine and I. Um, just very poignant. Very like the, the everything just stops in the room and that guy's just speaking. You're like, oh, you know. So as I pray for you guys this week as you head home, I pray that not that you remember my words. It's not my words that count. I pray that, if nothing else, it inspires you to be in your word. I pray that it inspires you to, to be listening to God. I, I believe that the Lord speaks. I believe that the Lord speaks to each one of us. There's, again, some churches who don't believe that. I believe that. I believe that the Lord has a personal relationship with each one in this room, that he will talk to you, that he will speak to you, he will speak through other people, he will speak through the word to you. I pray that as you guys go home, that you will be in your word and that you will be talking to the Lord and that he will speak to you and he will encourage you that he will also challenge you. I want to be challenged. You know, I want to be, I want to be the point where the Lord is just working through me and me so that I can be a better Christian tomorrow than I am today. And again, not for my glory. Again, because all I want to do is I just want to live for Jesus. Amen?